0: Hi, I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. This week, my guests are Nontombi Naomi Tutu, the Canon Missioner for Racial and Economic Equity at the Cathedral of All Souls in Asheville, North Carolina, along with her daughter, Mungi Ngomane, author of the book Everyday Ubuntu and business operations manager for Outvote. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsor. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. As I record this episode, we're in the midst of a racial crisis in North America and staying silent in the wake of racism and injustice is just not an option. As women, I believe we have a responsibility to stand up for other women. And as a white woman, and just like many of you, I'm sure, I spend some time thinking about how I can lend my support to fight racism, offer my solidarity to black women and take action. I called on two women leaders, Naomi Tutu and her daughter, Mungi Ngomane, to hear their thoughts on what is happening in the U.S. right now. Inspired by the wisdom and action of their father and grandfather, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, whose work was instrumental in dismantling apartheid in South Africa, both women have made the defense of human rights, of race equality, and of women's rights a central element in their lives. I hope you learned from and enjoyed this conversation.
1: Yes, hi, I'm Nontombi Naomi Tutu. I am uh, Canon Missioner for Racial and Economic Equity at the Cathedral of All Souls in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm also Canon Missioner for our Kairos Community Center.
2: Hi, I'm Mungin Gomane, and I am the author of Everyday Ubuntu and also the business operations manager for Outvote and I am Naomi's
0: daughter. Thank you so much, Naomi and Mungi, for speaking with me today. The topic of racial injustice is one that you're both familiar with. There is a, a, fa- a family connection, as you are the daughter and granddaughter of uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, you have also both been doing work that supports human rights, racial rights, um, uh, women's rights as well, And before we get into the heart of our conversation today, I wanted to hear from each of you about your journey up to this point and uh, tell me a little bit more about why uh, the defense of uh, racial rights, women's rights, girls' rights, and social justice in general has been something that's been part of your life.
1: Um, Maybe we'll start with you, Naomi. Yeah. And, you know, when when I'm being a little bit facetious, I say to people, I was raised in a family that made it very clear that we were expected to be involved in human rights issues and um that that I said to my children that I expected them to to find some involvement in justice issues and and that being the kind of lazy person that I am, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, "Oh, I'm a black woman, so yeah, racial and gender justice that makes sense. that's the easiest thing to be in but but be i mean but to be honest is that you know being born and raised in apartheid, South Africa, I think actually did give me very little option but to be passionate about racial justice. And, 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 and in a community, in a, in a country that the one thing that was common across all racial groups, across all ethnic groups, across all religious groups in South Africa was the fact that women were, were viewed as second class citizens. So as black women, we were probably fourth class citizens and, and 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 so that being again in that in that kind of situation where my very right to be fully who god had created me to be were questioned on a daily basis meant that i had to be involved in the struggle for 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 racial and gender justice
2: I mean, I th- I think it echoes in the way that you know she said looking in the mirror that if she was being facetious, of course, black woman, race and gender. But my thought is, I mean, how can you not? You know, you know what is, what is your life if you are not fighting for justice? Um, it, it, I don't know. It sort of just seems logical to me, and maybe it's not. But I, I guess that goes down to being raised by my mother and what she instilled in us, Um, and it doesn't even have to be, you know, people who look like you. I mean, before all of this sort of came to a head in the U.S. over the last, I would say, five or so years, I was, you know, very, very focused on Palestinians and their struggle and, and not because necessarily Palestinians look like me, but because they have such a similar struggle to South Africans under apartheid. And... It just it just felt like how could we not see their struggle and find ways to help them, and why is it so taboo to talk about the Palestinian struggle? Um, and now I think my work isn't necessarily you know the same as my mother's and in, in that it's not in the church, and it's not necessarily traveling and speaking about years and years and decades of experience like she has, but it's sort of educating friends and making sure that i have relationships where race is not a, a tough subject because i mean i'm a black woman so if it's a tough subject then this friendship is you know a, a bit off um mm-hmm. and so i i right. think it to me it just seems like a logical thing to do and to be involved in
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely um, so we've spoken of recent events and it truly feels like our world is at a crossroad. Um, this is not the first time there's a race crisis in, in the US, in North America, far from it. Um, somehow it feels like we have reached a turning point in terms of the, the level um, of um, outrage um, that this specific, the, the, these specific events have sparked and also the support that it's garnering, uh, which is quite widespread. Um, I also like that there's a, uh, and I know Mungi, you and I have spoken about this over the the weekend, Um, there's been a quote by Archbishop Desmond Tutu that's been uh, going around on social platforms, and it's obviously a great one, uh, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. I'd like to hear about what you make of the events of the past few weeks and the response it has sparked. And of course, for you, Naomi, uh, having experienced the uh, uh, South African uh, fight against uh, apartheid, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what is happening here now.
1: Yeah, and you know, and I think that your point about, you know, this is not the first time, right, that we, you know, looking at US history, the, the civil rights movement, looking at um, the, the, the after effects of the Rodney King trial, that, that this is not the first time. And I think that this, but I do feel, but I think you're right too, that this is, this does feel like it's a different time. It feels as though there's something different. And I do think that it is, that the pandemic in, in many ways has fed this. And not in the way, you know, I mean, I'm hearing people saying, well, people have been locked up all this time. They needed to let out energy and 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 that's not what I think it is. I think that the way that the pandemic has, has fed into it has been the, the ways in which this pandemic has highlighted the, the structural inequities that exist in this country. Um you know that just 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 a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, it might have been last year that um, workers at meat at a meat packing plant were trying to unionize and then um, the then ice swooped in and arrested and deported those workers and now all of a sudden we 're hearing that meat workers in meatpacking plants are um, essential workers and um, that we're seeing how the jobs that are done predominantly by people of color, predominantly by poor people, um, are considered essential jobs. But they're not jobs that have the that are valued by our society. They're not jobs that are paid well. Many of these so-called essential workers do not have paid um sick leave and so are being forced to go into work sick. And so we are seeing the pandemic impacting the black and brown communities in our in our country. Um, much more than we are represented in this country and that you know and that and that immediately makes people think but where else are we as a people overrepresented and it is in our jails it is in the injustice it is in the number of people who are killed by police it is the the ways in which we are stopped from having regular things, um, having a barbecue, playing golf, riding a wine train. I mean, all of those things, that this is the lived experience of black people in this country. And so the the, the, the combination of this pandemic that has brought to to fore, that has um, unveiled, if you like, the extent to of the structural inequities in our country and the way that those inequities are based on race has been one of, the, one of the, the things that makes this uprising different. And from a perspective of somebody who lived through apartheid and lived through those kind of cycles, too, where there were uprisings and and the government came in and and stomped them out and and we wondered you know was that the end of the story but after each of those uprisings a a group of people started asking more questions there were more questions from churches there were more questions from other um organizations and the those those questions spread into more and more parts of the country. And so as I look at the fact that these uprisings are spreading throughout the country and uh, and are making some people even in the police services ask questions and say no, we're not we're not going to be um stamping down on people who are crying out for justice. And and so I think that that's to me that is something of a um a hope out of these dark and terrible days.
2: It's I think it's also that we are in an, a new phase sort of a new state of life where the people who aren't essential workers are mostly stuck at home and we're we're not rushing off to brunch i mean there are videos of protesters on the street passing by people brunching which is not a good look but you know we're not rushing off to the next thing we're sort of stuck at home and i think some people are being forced to acknowledge these these you know things on their social media on their news sites that aren't going away because you're not in your office, you're not going to a cocktail hour, you're not going to dinner with anyone, and what you are doing is really surfing the web, and so these things are going to keep popping up on the web and, I mean, how long can you avoid that? And, you know, people are trying, I think people have tried very hard to avoid it, and I think they will be people that will keep trying, but it's, it's a bit tough when, you know, we sit and complain all day about not being able to see our friends, but you know people are are losing their lives i I think it sorts of puts things into perspective for people um, and hopefully is making them take a step back
1: and i and I think that the the social media which i'm i'm a i'm a literal social illidi- social media illiterate so i mean i think <laughs> that th- i think the importance of that should cannot also should not be um underplayed in the fact mm-hmm. of having access to this information um you know even though the Ahmed Arbery video took 2 months to get out to the community it got out right and the yes, fact that yes. it got once it got to one person it was around the world in a very short uh order the the fact mm-hmm. that um, people were able and I don't know I I could not watch either video the Ahmad Arbery or the George Floyd I have right. seen too many of, of my my people killed and tortured and so to be to so but but the fact that people watched and could hear his words and could hear bystanders saying let him up you know that that the, the that um, that changes even though there are still people on social media, who are trying to justify, and that is always going to also be the case. But the fact is that people are watching it and are seeing it with their own eyes, and are hearing it with their own eyes, and are seeing mm-hmm. the disdain on the face of um, Officer Chauvin. That you know that those kinds of we we those kinds of impact that that has on people to recognize that, you know, as black people, we have been saying this forever. Our mm-hmm. interactions with the police are not the interactions of most white people with the police. Right. And, yeah. and people have been able to dump downp- or try and downplay those stories, but to be watching it, to actually see and to see, even at, after the man is lifeless, Floyd is lifeless, that this police mm. officer remains, and again with no, no, no seeming uh, awareness that this is another human being, I am doing this to, Correct. and 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 yeah. and the and I think the power of that for people who keep asking questions about, well, how bad is racism really? Well, you seem to be doing okay. That, those mm-hmm. things I think also uh, have uh, have an important role in, 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 in what is going on in reaction to that. Mm-hmm. I think you're
0: absolutely right. And something started during the pandemic too, where um, I think a lot of people stopped reading headlines from major media and started getting their information from from alternate sources including social media Um, and i think we're seeing that now too that headlines are not not necessarily accurately reporting on everything Mm -hmm. that is going on Mm -hmm. and um, we have we have this source that's controlled by the people now that is giving us access to this information that we wouldn't otherwise be privy to for for various reasons and speaking of of the COVID pandemic naomi you pointed out that um this was kind of the 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 start of this uh, at, at least this year in 2020 with uh the black community being infected with the virus and dying at disproportionate rates uh across the us this is true in canada as well um and this is this is a million dollar question that i don't know if we even have an answer to but Um, Could we have seen this coming and could this lead up to what's become a larger crisis have been avoided? And obviously this points, as you said, to systemic issues that are deep rooted and that have been, you know, building up for years and decades uh, in in the U.S. and across North America. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, we could. I mean, we could we could have. I think that any any person who paid attention to health disparities in in this country had w- would have had to know that something like this is going to impact those who are uh, impacted anyway in 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 the ways that health is rationed in in this country that you know so i mean when anytime the, there is you know anytime you have Serena Williams talking about her birthing experience and being dis- her her experience being discounted as a black woman. Serena Williams, for heaven's sake, that that the fact that she was a black woman. Overshadowed the fact that she was Serena Williams in medical people's listening to what she said was going on in her body. And over and over, we hear these stories. We we see the statistics that it's not even about access to health insurance. It's not even about access to education that has determined health outcomes for 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 Black and Brown people. It is indeed the color of their skin that the medical profession the medical profession has institutions have downplayed black people's pain have up have, have, have said that black people are more likely to exaggerate what they are feeling um and are less likely to experience same levels of of discomfort as as white people so yes we we, we should have seen it we could have seen it and yet, that, what could we have done? I mean, again, it, in the end, it is about a choice that a nation has made that, um, that it is willing to sacrifice the health of a lot of people in the nation in order to make sure that Black and brown people do not have access. Um, I, I've been reading a, a book called Dying of Whiteness. And in this, the, the, and the, this book, the author talks specifically about um, Obamacare and the, op- the options for Medicaid expansion um, into states. And states that refused that that expansion, even though it would have meant more people would have been covered by um, um, health insurance, even though the federal government was going to be carrying the bulk of of the cost, and he the author had um uh, what do they call them groups focus groups in um in Tennessee where the the choice was not to expand um, the the Medicare in, 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 in line with the Obamacare. And over and over, he was struck by the fact that white people who would have had, who didn't have health insurance and would have had access if the expansion had gone through, were very clear that they were opposed to the expansion because it was something that was going to be taken advantage of by people of color. So that they were willing to die. They were seriously willing to die, to suffer, to make sure that Black people did not have access to quality health care. So the fundamental, it's not even about health care. The fundamental is the racism, right? That that so if so we can talk about it in any way we we want to talk about it, but that um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Kelly Kelly Brown Douglas said in a in a in, in a webinar to um, the, a church webinar that the reality is we talk about this. The conversation has been about essential workers in this pandemic, who are predominantly people of color, apart from doctors. But when you look at the other areas that have been identified as essential workers, she said, you know what is most striking about that is that we call them essential workers, but we cannot bring ourselves to call them essential human beings. And that is the crux of our problem, that People of color in this country have long been viewed as expendable. That their labor, right from slavery, the importance has been their labor and not their humanity.
0: And I want to talk about women's issues specifically for a minute because our our show, The Brandiest Female, focuses on women's voices and the reality of women. and we know and you've brought up that black women you know have been uh, uh, the probably the, the the top victim of a, of a failed system um, where they're seeing violence against their community, they're seeing their children die, they're seeing uh, you brought up uh, uh, maternity experiences. We know mortality rates are higher for for women as well when it comes to maternity. Uh, We know that their children don't benefit from the same opportunities when it comes to educational or professional opportunities. And, you know, we're in 2020. If we thought that women's rights had improved overall, how is it that black women have been left so blatantly behind? Maybe they want to take this then, one? F- or okay, um, yeah, maybe monkey first. Because I've
1: been talking so much. <laughs> well, I
2: mean, I'll I'll say something quickly, but I I mean, I also think this is a, a topic that very much mother can speak on. Um, but I, I if I'm being honest, it's because it, this whole feminism thing goes goes back to color first. So, you know, mm-hmm. yes, we're all women, but when it comes down to it at the end of the day, White women will choose their whiteness over their womanness, Um, whether that is for protection or some sense of I don't know pleasing partners and fathers and and of course then that goes back to the patriarchy. But it's it's the choice that you keep see you see and you know I, I know that my mother and I discussed this a lot and it was. It was in her trying to explain to my brother and me why she was so concerned about us when we were out with our friends and to remember that we, you know, we don't look like our friends and, you know, they may treat us like we are the same as them for now, but if something happens to the police, the police don't see us the same way. And it it was the, the Trayvon Martin case that she was using as, you know, the white women did not see his mother as you know experiencing the loss of a son it's it's all these reasons for well you know why is he wearing a hoodie or why? I mean the man was he he was a boy and he was walking away from the person and I mean I don't want to spend my time naming um the man who killed him but it's it it's it's a choice that's being made and for some reason we we're all feminists when we go to the women's march but then when it comes to the children being killed we just we're we're all of a sudden not and you know black women are the strength of their communities you know they're they're nurturing and taking care of everyone Um, and then they're the first ones out on the street marching for the release of people who have been imprisoned for you know the memory of people who have been killed Um, and then again they're also there when white men want to rise up against Trump, who, again, we weren't the ones that voted for Trump, so, but, you know, but we, we were still out on the street with you, even though most of your friends did it, um, and it's, it's I think it's a choice, that it's, the whiteness always comes first before the womanness, and, you know, if if that is to protect you, I understand needing to feel protected, and and being used to privilege, but it you, you know there has to come a a chance when we can then speak very openly about it and say that is what's
1: happening yeah and I mean and 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 you know let's let's not forget that um that historically uh, the feminist movement the the white feminist movement really did not take into account Black women's experience. I mean, at, even at the, the very basic level, which was around the, the, the right of women to go out into the workplace. Well, mm-hmm. Black women were mm-hmm. in they the were workplace. They were already in the workplace. Right? They had no choice, and yes. They had no choice. And so... Yeah so that if your if your movement is framed in a way that excludes the experience of a group of women a, you know a large group of women then your your movement is not about those women and it has and and i think that from that foundational p- place it has continued and um and you know i i i, I am one of the stories that i i I tell people is about how messed up this is is um that Gloria Steinem came to speak at the University of Cape Town when I was working in at the African Gender Institute at the University of cape town and um and and, and in the question and answer session a young black uh, student woman student asked her about um, the experience of of black women on this university campus, which had been a historically white campus, about the you know the not feeling safe, feeling um, com- com- constantly judged, and one of my colleagues from the the gender institute turned to the rest of us. We were all sitting together and said see, now we're not talking about women, we're talking about race. And I was just like, wait, wait, wait. How do do you even let those words come out of your mouth as someone working at an African gender institute to be saying that a question and a concern of a young black woman, which is about her, her feminist and her race, issues are about race and so we we so that as though we can strip ourselves of our color um in order or that we are supposed to strip ourselves of our color in order to fit in with the idea of 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 this um of of, of this type of feminism and 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 we have to also be honest that, um, you know, uh, what was her name, Sarah Cooper? She's, she's, not a, she's not the exception to the rule that of, 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 of weaponizing her white womanhood in, the, in a way that endangers black lives. And, you know, clearly the most famous for us is Emmett Till, who when the the woman finally, just before she died, admitted none of what she said had actually happened. But that that was, you know, and, and, and so that, you know, until white women are willing to have these, really tough conversations with one another about the power and privilege of whiteness and to what extent they are willing to stop using that power and privilege of whiteness to, to continue uh, the oppression of Black women and how are they going to use that power and privilege and access to open the doors to all women, to have to have to have power but i think that you know they've been raised in a system that says it's all a zero sum game so if right. yes. somebody yes. else gets access you're going to have to lose something scarcity and mindset yeah and so we we have to work hard on all of these issues around human rights to make it clear to people that in fact it is the opening up of access to black women. It is the opening up of the question of what is happening to Palestinians in the occupied territories. It is the raising of the questions of why are indigenous people who are supposed to be valued and respected as the original people of this land living in such dire poverty with such poor healthcare, so overly exposed to COVID, that that when we start asking those questions and making the connections between the death on the reservations, the death in Black communities, the death in Palestine, that we will come to recognize that the access to human rights by one group, actually opens up a larger area of human rights for all of us. This season of The Brand is Female
0: is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes some advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners that can provide education, financing, mentoring, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship. And they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. So what's what's the best way for white women to be good allies? And that's a theme that's come up quite a bit on social uh, platforms and, uh, you know, white women showing showing solidarity for for black women. So for for someone who for a white woman who doesn't know where to start and who's not necessarily educated. And I think that's, that's the start of it is, you know, reading up, being educated, following black leaders, black women advocates, what else can white women do to help and to really be the change they want to see to, to paraphrase uh, somebody else?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, um, in this, the, 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 the webinar that I talked about that, um, Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas spoke about, she kind of jolted me in, 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 in one of her comments and, and it was around allyship. And she said, you know, the first thing I need you to do is to stop being an ally that you're not an ally, you are part of the struggle. Because if you say you're an ally, then there's a way in which it's like, oh, this is black people's struggle and we're gonna help you as we can. But the fact of the matter is this racism is all of our struggle and it's not, uh, you know, Black women might be the one- the place the bodies that carry the greatest impact of racism, but the the struggle against racism is not it it is not black people's fight, and I thought you know uh, yeah yeah yeah, but i'm and I'm still working with that myself, but I throw it out there because I think that it it asks us to do it asks white women white people to make a different approach than to say you know i got your back no you don't got my back you right here on the front line with me because this is our fight this is our struggle um and that um you know uh, to 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 talk about ubuntu in this in this con in this time is that you know one of the teachings of Ubuntu is that there is nothing that you do on behalf of or against another that doesn't rebound to you in some way, and it's a and it's a lesson that I I had a hard time with growing up because I was like no that's that's absolute bull I'm looking around at people who are oppressing me and they're having a ball. I don't see any cost to them to this and and it and it wasn't until listening to thinking about, you know, so in the context of South Africa, think about that all white men had to serve in the military. That that white white South Africans were willing to sacrifice their children's lives to maintain our oppression. What does that say about, you know, ubuntu the a cost to yourself um, that 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 the fear that they constantly lived with so i'm using south africa as an example but i'm just saying this in terms of this experience that we're in right now that if you think that sitting back and saying i will support uh, black people where i where they tell me to support them as opposed to saying where is racism impacting my life where is where is it that i am paying a cost for racism and 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 you know and, and the cost is not as, as i said the cost is not going to be the same for for white people as it is for us but to be ask asking yourself Where does my community, my society lose a part of its humanity Mm -hmm. because of racism? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I'm a clergy person and that's part of the reason that I go on and on and on. But (laughs) but, but no, no, actually, that's not true. I always went on and on and on (laughs) before I was ordained. So really, that's just a good excuse. But i a story that I, I i've just been i've shared with my parishioners recently that was really powerful for me was you know we would, we're part of a, a group of, of faith leaders who meet regularly to talk about what do we as faith leaders do in the face of racism in our community and we're talking about some some things that had happened and and one of the white clergy people said, you know, I mean, whenever I hear about racist violence and things that people have done, I, I get so embarrassed. And, and, and I have to remind myself that God loves white people too. And I said, maybe that is the place we start. Maybe the place that we ask white people to start is, do you really believe that God loves you? Because if you really believe that God loved you, then all of this violence against people of color would not be necessary. If you truly believed in your full humanity, then you would not have to prove your humanity by oppressing and dehumanizing others. Mm -hmm, mm Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And and for someone who, you know, if someone doesn't believe in God, it's what you said, it's about humanity and love. And in in that that concept, there is no room for oppression and racism and, you know, injustice towards a a group or a minority. Um, you and just the fact that we
1: share this planet. And, you know, if we don't make things make sense in a little while, the rest of this planet is going to kick human beings off yes. just for yes. the health of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> Absolutely. And you've opened my eyes to something really, really interesting about that concept, because I spend a weekend talking about how to be a good ally. And, uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, you brought up some very interesting points because it's almost like saying you're an ally is already taking a step back. It's, you're not, you know, mm-hmm. you're not out there really yeah. making the change. You're just an ally that's on the sideline by, you know, by default. Um, Mungi, that's I'm,
1: what I, I mean. That was the shot for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah no. And it's, it's a, it's a very <laughs> interesting point. And that's why, you know, this, we could be having hours and hours of conversation and still not get to the bottom <laughs> of this. Um, Mungi, I'm curious True. to hear your thoughts uh, after what your, what your mom has shared and, maybe even this concept of allyship that, that is being challenged.
2: I mean, this, you know, this is sort of a, a question that I kept getting this weekend, um, getting a lot of texts from friends, you know, it, I, I don't want to be harsh, but it, it seemed like there was some sort of template going around, because I was getting sort of like the same text from friends that was like, I don't know what to say I don't want to say the wrong thing but I know that the wrong thing is not saying any I mean it it was I mean it looked almost copied and pasted sometimes right and And
0: I'm laughing (laughs) it's not fun I'm not laughing because it's funny I'm laughing because it's true
2: yeah no it I I was I was speaking (laughs) to a friend about it yesterday I actually spoke to a few friends and and one of them was she was like well at least you got the template because I didn't get anything and then another one was just like maybe I should send out a new template because this is just it's it's kind of exhausting because you, you like there's Google for a reason there there is research there people have said what you can do so yeah I don't know if I necessarily need to be the one at this stage to tell you what to do um, yeah. But but it is true. I'm sorry I you texted named... you. <laughs>
0: no,
2: it's fine. But but you do need to do something. Um, you know, yeah. at the at the NAACP Image Awards, the the prophet and scholar Rihanna got the um, the president's award, and <laughs> she the prophet. Am I wrong? Where is the lie? Um, and she <laughs> she was talking about race and you know she was naming the people who had recently been killed and she just reiterated the whole it's not just a black issue it's an everybody issue and she said and if you have if you're a person of color and you have friends of other races who enjoy you and enjoy their time with you and enjoy like black culture and all these things then you need to tell your friends of other races to pull up for black issues because this is an everybody thing so we don't get to decide now that it's because it's only affecting my black friend it's a black issue like that's that's not how it works anymore. And I was like, okay, girl, pull up. Yeah, that's what we need to start saying to our friends. So start, you know, start reading. If you have questions, I've said to friends, I would much rather if they had specific questions, not just a question on what should I do. If they had specific questions that they may think are dumb, I would want them to ask me because I don't want it sitting there. I know that we're all afraid of saying the wrong thing. Even in this situation, there are times when I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing, and and I don't want them to be afraid of that, but I do want them to be afraid of saying that to certain people. So I would rather they ask me these dumb questions because they are learning than to ever then be in front of my mother and my grandfather and ask a dumb question, because in this situation, I, I do think like something could be considered a dumb question if we have years of friendship, and then you you have not done any work and then you ask me something or say something in front of my mother my grandfather I would be embarrassed that we had gone through years of friendship and this was something that you had not figured out up until this stage um so I think I've seen so many things that people have been saying about how to be allies and maybe that is obviously not the word it's you know like how do you join the struggle um and and so now I want people to actually like click into those and and you know everyone's posting about it but then i'm wondering like how many people are reading because why am i still getting texts asking me for resources like what what are y'all looking at on instagram because that's all i'm seeing um so so put your money where your mouth is and also very honestly put your body where your mouth is because i i didn't go out and protest this weekend i was tired the people on the street are tired but also, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to put myself in that danger. And that is a privilege in itself that I didn't feel the need to do that and didn't want to and didn't have to. But I think we need white people on the street. I, my boss at Outvote was out. Yes. She was at, yes. my boss, Emily was out protesting this weekend and, um, my partner saw it before I did and he told me and I got good. She should be that, you know, I, I'm, I'm tired of it. Like. She should be because she is less likely to be harmed than I am. And so this weekend, where I'm going to give my energy is from my couch, texting back those people, asking for resources. And thank God she's out there giving her energy on the street.
1: And also, you know, the other way that that white people can help is by on being in the conversations with their friends who are... Um, demonizing the protesters that you know I you know I'm just like deleting people right now I'm, I, I can't be in those conversations but but when it's your friend your friends and relatives who are saying look at these animals they have no th-, I'm like yeah think about how long these people have over and over told this country this is wrong how long have have black people tried being peaceful protesters? What happened to Colin Kaepernick? By the by the way, people, um, what was he doing? Yeah, y'all said that he was the y'all's president called him an S.O.B. for kneeling around police violence, and 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 so so there has never been a time that black protest has actually been acceptable in this country so so one of the things that you can do right now is to be giving people that context as they are demonizing the young people out on the streets right now about and 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 you know and the other context you might give them is to look up all the videos of white college students burning vehicles and protesting over sports games, Um, you know, wins and losses by their, by their favorite teams and, and say, you know, that is, that is, that happens and people expect everybody to shake, shake, you know, shake it off and keep on going. These are people protesting about lives lost about lives endangered, about living in a constant time of fear and disrespect. And and so, so one of the things that I ask white people in the struggle to be about is to be the ones answering those questions. Because I'm tired. I am tired of just being, trying to keep myself sane without worrying about friends and children and loved ones because of the color of their skin and i and i need uh white people in the struggle to remind their their friends and relatives that this is not something that has suddenly popped out of a vacuum
0: and Speaking of the protests and actually what there were a few comments that felt felt good to me. At least Um, I I like seeing shop owners, you know, because it it can't, you know, shop owners were seeing their windows smashed and, you know, Mm. their 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 space looted or whatever it is in in L.A. and other cities uh, across Mm. the U.S. And I'm seeing comments like, you know, it doesn't really doesn't matter if it goes up in flames. That's what insurance is for. And, you know, the protests come first. So it's oh, wow. actually been been, mm-hmm. na- been nice seeing that reaction, um, you know, because people get it. But mm-hmm. speaking of protests, um, it's been several nights um, of uh, some are peaceful, some turn to violence. Um, mm-hmm. Cities are, are struggling. There's been, you know, military uh, personnel sent in in some cities to uh, to control uh whatever is going on and it leads mm-hmm. to more violence where do you mm-hmm. think we go from here what's what's going to be uh you know the the i don't know if there's a solution that exists but how do you see next steps happening here
1: i think next steps a lot of it has to do with leadership and i'm not talking about federal leadership I, i've given up on that but that local and local and state, seriously local and state leadership what is it that right. they are saying to the police and to the military and so mm-hmm. you know you've seen communities where the police have said we know what this is about and yes. we are not coming um, loaded for hunting we are coming truly as peacekeepers and and being in conversation with the leaders of of the marches. And it is in those places that there has been little if no violence, right? It is where the leadership says, people, we recognize your anger and we are going to be here to keep the peace. We are not here. Our aim is not to fight with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, and and because we, and we've seen the opposite. I watched an amazing video yesterday where a SWAT team had been deployed in Minneapolis to where there mm-hmm. were supposed to be protesters, but I don't know whether they got sent to the wrong street or the wrong block or what. But the place they got, they loaded out of their trucks and there were like three people on the street. And one of mm-hmm. them was an old man at a bus stop, I think, with a cane and because these SWAT team people had been loaded to hunt that one of them actually knocked this man for no reason knocked this old man down and and so and and that's you know that our militarized police are often set up and set out to be going to face an enemy. This is not facing an enemy. This is people who are sick and tired and have tried. Let's let this country not forget that people have tried over and over peaceful protest. So what we need is truly visionary and courageous leadership in our cities and in our states to say this is not we are not at war we mm-hmm. are not at with stop with the the war parallels this is yes. not a war this is citizens crying out for justice and mm-hmm. if if there is visionary leadership who are willing to To be in conversation with protesters, to, to include the community, to reach out to clergy and faith leaders, to reach out to trade unionists, to reach out to fraternities and sororities. I mean, our black fraternities and sororities have long been social activists that to reach out to those people who are recognized as, as leadership in the community and say, how do we do this? You know, mm. I, I, I go back, I, go, I know I go back often to, to the South African experience, but one of the largest marches that was ever seen in South Africa and maybe in the world happened in Cape Town and and, and even with some attempted provocateurs, it was the largest peaceful protest. And mm-hmm. the reason that it was peaceful was that the organizers had reached out to everybody. The, the, the faith leaders, student leaders, um, trade unionists, uh, community groups, And said, we need you to be a part of this and we need you to help us take responsibility for our people. That we know this police, this military is probably going to try and egg people on to to acts of violence so that they have an excuse to, Mm -hmm. to beat people. And having a wide range of leaders involved Led to that being one of the, as I said, the largest and most peaceful marches. Mm-hmm. By this wow. point here, this is what we need our political leadership to be doing to be reaching yeah. out to leadership in the community in every sphere that they can possibly think of and say, mm-hmm. This is about our community. What mm-hmm. is it yes. that we are going to do? Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, because otherwise hate attracts more hate and violence attracts more violence. And we're playing this dangerous game of cat and mouse. Um, What would be the best outcome that we could expect, you know, post uh, protests um, with the, this, the 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 voices the support that's being expressed we started a conversation by saying we we feel like we are at a turning point what would be you know the best positive outcome that we can expect from what is happening now um you know the, <laughs> yes you we know can. i will we'll uh, yes well
2: because my mom and i once did a uh, a speech not together she did a a speech and then i did one after her and i i vowed to myself that i would never speak after her again and then clearly i forgot that vow today um (laughs) but (laughs) i i mean i think it obviously she always goes back to south africa and that is also why the the book always returns to south africa sort of as you know not a perfect example but like the example that we have of i think people Mm -hmm. showing great strength and and being able to put themselves in mm-hmm. the shoes of others, and I, I don't think that America knows how to do that. I don't think that white Americans can ever seem to put themselves in the shoes of black Americans overall. And, and you know, I have to say overall, because then there's someone listening who will be like, well, I'm not, you know, like that, and 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 there lies mm-hmm. an issue that I have to... Because it's, it's not about you, it's why, why are we centering you? You need to be centering the black community and listening to them um, and putting yourself in, in their shoes. Because imagine what it looked like to us a few weeks ago when people were trying to open up the country again and they were storming state capitals with weapons and the police had the restraint of God and now, people are marching without weapons and then there's the argument well there's some with weapons I, it, yeah sure but it, there's no that restraint is all of a sudden gone and it's just, it's it's mm-hmm. just you know America doesn't necessarily have a problem with violence there's there's always violence it was it was built on violence so let's yes. not pretend that we yeah. you know shudder at the thought of violence it just depends on who is receiving that violence. And so I think, A, there needs to be a lot of honesty um, and tough conversations, and I don't know what you know what a nice outcome is because I, back when I was writing the book, I, I said to someone who was helping, I unfortunately said, I think that there may be a race war in the U.S. before we get anywhere. And I don't know if this mm-hmm. is the start, and this is not to say that we need to get there because that is the last thing that I would want. But, I mean, there's going to be some sort of catalyst to get us to where we need to be, and I don't know what it is. And I hope that it is our leaders being able to reach out and gather us all, but then also white leaders coming and listening and not giving us suggestions yes. on what the next step is. And Because, you know, we've tried to protest every single way that has been suggested, and it's never been liked and protest isn't about making someone comfortable
0: yeah
2: um so i I mean i think a lot of listening needs to happen and people weren't being listened to so they started rioting and protesting and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how you know how do you tell them to deal with centuries of anger and despair you know nobody, nobody mm-hmm, was paying attention. Mm-hmm. It would have been maybe one news cycle if there wa- weren't fires and property destruction, and we've been you know destroying right. the bodies of black people forever. So is the property really the end of the world? Um, so I mean I think I think it goes back to listening, and hopefully, yeah leaders in the white community want to start listening.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, your the, the way you 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 phrase that question is kind of like an opportunity to dream, right? What would be mm-hmm. the best possible outcome? Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe one of the best possible outcomes, and again, I'm not even expecting this to happen on a federal level because my my faith in federal leadership has declined precipitously, but that that at our local levels that that communities would come together and say, let us as a community do the work of truth telling and um, truth repairing of the breach. And you notice I'm not saying truth and reconciliation, because I think, you know, reconciliation is not is not where we we're we're going because they, you know when were we conciled in order to be reconciled but that but at least a repair of our connection as human beings and that if you know if we were if we had visionary leadership in some cities and states that would say what this has shown us is the extent of the, the shakiness of our foundations. So we need to be doing foundational work about what is building community. Um, and, and so, yeah, so my, my, the best possible outcome for me from this is to have people step up um, you know, we and, and the thing and the and the wonderful thing is that we already have um places and people who have been trying to start this conversation, you know, like the poor people's campaign, right? That's exactly what they're saying. They've been saying all along this is fundamentally a problem of our political system of our economic system of our social system and if we say we are those who love this country then we have to be willing to dig deep into what has brought us to this point and to say we are willing to start afresh with a a with a new structure a new economic structure a new political structure a new view of our connection to the rest of creation that so that to me is you know um i used to always tell people that i and th- then somebody told me that i was completely wrong that i had the wrong translation but that that the that the chinese character for crisis was challenge and opportunity
0: mm-hmm. and somebody told okay. me
1: that no that's not true <laughs> but I still like that I like yeah. that idea I like the that idea it, it, <laughs> that it's challenge and opportunity and we are we are definitely facing the challenge but what the challenge gives us is the opportunity to see with new eyes to imagine with a new heart to plan for a different country and different communities in, Mm -hmm. in, in our faith, in our faith tradition, we call this a Kairos moment, a moment Mm -hmm. when God says, see this upheaval, this upheaval is actually the chance to do the work of building God's kingdom and grab Mm -hmm. this opportunity for a new way. Grab this opportunity, and what do we have to lose at this point? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: I hate yeah. I hate to be yeah. saying words that have been used in another crazy context, but their words are true. The context in which they were used, we can forget, but the words themselves are true. What do we have to lose from? truly visioning something new for all of us out of Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. And
0: that answers my question perfectly. That would be the best possible outcome. (laughs) 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 Um, And I actually wanna end the conversation by asking you a question I ask all the guests on the podcast and, and Mungi has answered this before, uh, when we, when we first did an interview together, but after today's conversation, maybe there'll be a new answer. And again, going back to uh, the idea that our, our show, the Brandies female talks about women's issues. Um, and I want to ask you, what do you wish women would do more of?
1: Oh, for me, that's for me, that for me, that's easy. Um, I wish women and especially women of color would do more self-care that, um, that, and, and, and come to recognize self-care as not just a gift that they give themselves, but a gift that they give to the world and to their community. Um, I used to, I, I, I told my kids I would go away on vacation without them. And I would tell them, I'm doing this for you, I'd say, to Mungi and Debucho. I'm doing this for you because I want you, when you are grown women, to know that looking after yourself is important. And that way I would feel a little yes. less guilty about running away from my children. But, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I love that. seriously, I really wish women would prioritize their care. Both their mental mm. and their their physical health, and as I say, particularly um, women of color, and um, and 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 hearing of organizations like Girl Trek, um, you know, that have encouraged black women to walk to be out in their neighborhoods, that is, that is balm to my soul, and I wish we would do more of that self-care. Mm.
0: I love that. Mungi, what would be your answer um, this time around? Mm,
2: <laughs> I mean, mine may be similar to that. Um, I, you know, I think I think by now anyone who's listened to me knows that I, I like really love talking about boundaries. And I think that boundaries fall into self-care. But I wish that women would be more comfortable with implementing boundaries in their life. Um,
1: and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: because, um, you know, I read a quote That's from a Prentice one. Hemphill that said, you know, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. And I think that is just such a simple mm. thought, but such a true thought that, you know, if I need to put up a boundary because there is some sort of fracture in a relationship or, or just a, there's something going on in my life where I need to focus on myself, that, that does not necessarily change how I feel about you. Um, but will affect how I can care for you. So, you know, I don't think boundaries are harmful the way that we we like to discuss them. And I think women are often Mm. guilted about putting up boundaries, especially women of color. And so I I think Mm. put up the boundaries you need so that, you know, you can love yourself and your Mm -hmm. friends and your family um, the way that they need later on.
0: Mm. Amen. I rem- <laughs> preach, preach, <the> sister. <laughs> and, and that's that's a great <laughs> Ubuntu lesson. I remember <laughs> in our first interview, uh, you shared the anecdote of someone. Um, actually, it may I forget now if it, if it was your your mother or somebody else who was uh, about to give a talk and they had just come from a long uh, journey to get there and there was a crowd waiting for them, um, but they needed a moment and. Decided to have a glass of wine, even though there was a crowd of a few hundred waiting for that. I was
1: the one who didn't do the self-care boundary. The person who did the boundary <laughs> was Betty Williams, and that was my that was yes. my lesson for that day. For that day was I, and I was in awe of her saying, "No, I, I'm I'm taking my time. I am taking my time. <laughs> That's it. And I'm I'm gonna have a cup of tea. I might have a glass of wine." Yeah. I will do yeah. the thing that I've come to do, but I cannot do it from a a, a place of depletion. So yeah, yeah no, exactly. I, I was the yeah. I was the slow one in that one, that story. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well that then that's that's a great lesson, right? It's caring for ourselves so we can care for others. Mm-hmm. Um so thank you both very much for all the insights. I appreciate your time. Um and I hope that I hope that we see that best outcome happen and that we continue having meaningful conversations that lead to change. So, thank you both very much. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Naomi Tutu and Monkey Engomane for their precious time and insight. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, if you did, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening.